What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's huddle. We come at you every Tuesday um, to discuss maintaining forward progress in your flooring career. Really, I, I say this every week. It's, it's really most of this is applicable to any business, but um, flooring is what we're in and what we care about deeply. So we're here to help. Uh, hopefully, we get some participation this week. Little bit of uh, comments uh, or questions, but kind of to round out some of the topics we've had previously, we are we're going to be talking about things that have really changed the industry this 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 huddle. Um, so join me as always, Mr. Daniel and Jose. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for thanks for always being here. Um, so this week. <clears throat> It may not uh, exactly, you know, mean what what the the title may not uh, resonate exactly, but let me break it down. I figure there's some, you know, pretty big changes that happened in the industry. Uh, bring up some of those. There's been huge product changes, um, and as well as some reputation or overall just being a floor contractor or a floor installer change. So. What I mean by that is, so from an industry standpoint, and I'll look up at my board here and there because I took some notes, uh, subcontracting, uh, so subcontract installers, uh, they've been around for, for decades and decades and decades. However, they really took hold and started gaining, you know, um, more attention, meaning flooring contractors or flooring companies started using subcontract labor really heavy in the 90s uh, and all the way through the 2000s to today. I've quoted this before, but depending on which um, uh, study you read, up to 87% of all flooring nationwide is installed by independent subcontract installers. So that was a that's a huge change because you went from employee installers, uh, you know, paid by the hour or uh, sometimes still by the piece, but the point was they were employees um, under the control of a company. So what that means is a company would make sure that they had the highest trained employees, right? I mean, you wanted the best installers, you sent them to training, uh, and then you had this apprenticeship or a training program within your company. And those uh, apprentice programs and training programs, you know, you were able to bring in new blood, get the new blood with the old blood, having a four-year apprentice program for them, and then produce another installer on the backside of that. Once the, the subcontract um, storm <laughs> came, now the subs are responsible to get themselves trained to make sure they're up to date on product knowledge and all that stuff. So that's a big dynamic change. I'm not, you know, voting uh, one way or the other. I think there's a good uh, case to be made for subcontractors and a good case to be made for employees. Uh, I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. But it was certainly when when more work started getting done by uh, third party installers, subcontractors versus employees, I think that's a pretty major major change that also impacted the way we train our installers versus employee trained installers and subcontractors. Um, I Obviously that had a big impact. 
talked a little bit about labor shortage, um, you know, aging out of the installer. That's more today's pro um, problem. I, I mean, it's been a problem for a lot of years, but the the pimples just turned white. <laughs> We're really, yeah. really feeling it now, that's for sure. Yeah, it's like pimples just turned white though. <laughs> <laughs> now's the now's when the problems here. So I guess we can discuss this a bit, but is it too little too late? I know a lot of people are doing a lot of stuff in our industry trying to solve this problem, but um, you know, no offense to anybody working on this problem, but it feels like we're behind the curve. Like this type of effort by the manufacturers and, and the industry maybe should have, and when I say this type of effort, the money and the focus on solving this problem probably should have been, you know, 15 years ago, um, as opposed to, you know, the last five years, just my opinion. Uh, then I had some product stuff, you know, large format tile, for example, you know, I, I remember in 95, when I first started, the biggest tile you'd see is an 18 by 18 tile. Like there were probably bigger ones, but in general, 12 by 12 and 18 by 18 being the biggest. Now we have gauged porcelain panels that are four foot by 10 foot so that changed for everything from the tooling to the training to site conditions the whole deal um water soluble adhesives and you know when the epa took our solvents out um if you've been around long enough you've had some failures from that i certainly did um you know that the the chemical industry, to me, just over the last three or four years, has really started making great adhesives again. Um, it took a long time to get the solvents out and formulate something that's water-soluble that can still perform on concrete that has water in it. <laughs> so, um, and then the new arrival of LVT you know, 15 years ago or so, uh, Amtico was about maybe 20 years ago, but yeah, Amtico were the, that was it. Man. Yeah, it's pretty much Amtico. And now everybody and their brother makes an LVT. Uh, so, and, and such a large percentage of the flooring installed today from a square foot standpoint is LVT. Um, it's, it's replaced a lot of tile where typically tile would go, uh, or hardwood. Um, so yeah, and then floating floors in the commercial arena, um, you know, Wilson art, uh, used to make a, uh, laminate floor with a plastic core for the commercial world, uh, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, uh, timeframe. And they quit doing that and had a lot of problems with it. And now, you know, it's pretty commonplace to have a click floor in a commercial building if it's the right conditions. So mm -hmm. anyway, uh, last thing, last kind of topic within this uh, overarching topic was uh, our reputation and image as a as a flooring installer versus uh, I've heard Mark with the U uh, with the NTCA talk about these glory days back in the 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever uh, time frame when we were highly respected when we walked on job sites. I seen some old photos he shared of guys like dressed to like for construction. It 
they were dressed to the tens, you know, they had the tie. And I mean, they had like a work suit on. It was, it was uh, pretty interesting, we but bring it back. we should bring it back. Let's bring it back. Bring back the, the, the work suit. Why not? <laughs> but point being back then, uh, it was a respected trade. Uh, I feel like, you know, some of that got lost. And I know that all of us here and probably anybody even tuning into this, this uh, huddle, um, you know, would love to see the, not only participate in making that change back, at least in some, uh, some degree, get back to that respect and the understanding that we're skilled tradesmen and it takes a lot of effort, um, a lot of uh, knowledge, a lot of training, a lot of skill to oh, effectively do this this business. So that's kind of the overarching um, thought process I had here. What are your guys' thoughts on like, you know, industry, subcontract, anything else that you guys uh, can think of that uh, really brought major change to the industry? And what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I wrote down a couple of things right here too. It's like uh, one of them was before my time, right? When, when everything kind of hit or around that time, but um, I wrote down a couple of categories. I got health, tools, materials, and image, kind of what we kind of talked about a little bit there. But the one that hit us personally since we started was like uh, when silica, when that's, those standards came out and everything switched over, we kind of got a little bit of a taste of what the generations before us might have had with asbestos. You know, we kind of got hit with a take care of it or else we will kind of thing. That's a good point. Yeah, that silica thing came on like a freaking hurricane. Yeah, we were uh, we were not in a good spot at that time, I guess, but we made it happen and we went and made those changes. And we actually made a lot of changes before everybody else did. And they, everyone around the area kind of followed suit. I mean, it's not, we don't intentionally, we didn't intentionally do that, but we started making every contractor aware that we were 100% silica compliant. Um, Daniel went above and beyond to make sure we have the documents, the paperwork, like everything that our government was requiring of us at that time. And, and now it's just standard practice. So, yeah. Yeah, that silica thing was tough. I, we were behind the curve for sure. I didn't know how serious it was, if I'm honest, when it came out and you, you hear all the talk and I thought, eh, it's just all these major tool <laughs> manufacturers trying to sell more tools some different thing same thing same thing we were like ah oh, whatever we breathe dust every day right yeah. one of those people and then you actually learn about it and it's like yeah it's you got to change your mindset it's not like i've already done this and i'm fine it's i need to protect everyone yeah. that that's working here and that on the job site so we have to do it yeah yeah once you read into it you realize um there is some damage that stuff can do and protecting you and your employees and other and other you know job site workers or what have you is the responsible thing to do but i would be lying if at the beginning i didn't call bullshit <laughs> i'm not scared i'm well yeah we we do a lot of hospital work too so it's like always you know talking to infection control and you don't realize the numbers of how many people actually get sick or die just because there's dust that you're kicking up? Just the particulate that's in the air, yeah. It was, 
So it was, it was a little bit easier for us to justify it, right? But even did though, you talk to, uh, did you guys actually talk to medical professionals at the hospital uh, in that regard? Or was it uh, just? At one of the hospitals we work for, we infection control is there every single job. She comes by every single day. So we talk to her quite a bit. Yeah, she's wow. been happy with us. She's been upset with us. We've been on both sides of that coin, but it's hard to be perfect all the time. So um, accidents happen. And, and sometimes uh, you don't think about construction for two weeks in an area and how much dust is going to to get out there. Even if you are using the systems, it's it's not 100% foolproof. But Well, I like the way you can kind of compare it to asbestos, maybe not to the same degree, but it's those the both of those were major industry you know i'm glad you brought that up because i mean asbestos is a wonderful building material <laughs> unfortunately it causes cancer right and uh documented as such i think it's the mesothelioma that it uh type of cancer that it uh, actually causes right um yeah pretty big industry change we used a lot of asbestos particularly in the vct and um, and it was just VA tile back then, but um, uh, the adhesive too, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that the tile is the least of your concern from a that adhesive particulate. The yeah. adhesive is the, the bigger piece. There's more of it in there and it's easier to become friable or to get up yeah. in the air. But uh, yeah, interesting. What about products? What's your, what's your top, you know, few like either headaches you've experienced i i gotta think adhesive um, is on that list but you know, what other product changes has just caused you know either great uh change meaning change in a good manner or just has been a, a tough one to deal oh, with here here's what my thoughts right carpet tile it is great but horrible at the same time because they think that anyone can just go and install it but um, they don't realize that you have to treat it like a resilient because there's that backing on there. The, the moisture has nowhere to go, like Broadloom. Mm -hmm. so, so if you don't treat it like that, you're already setting yourself up for failure. You know, I'd add, I would add recycled content to the conversation as well. Yeah. Because the recycled content and the backings of the carpet tiles caused more personal pain for me um because what would happen and has happened is you know we have a rule basically that you remove the we lay on concrete so basically what that means you go in tear a broadloom carpet or tear a bolt carpet tile and you're putting down new we don't just go over what's there we get back down to concrete we install on concrete that's our desire now sometimes budgets, different things. You got to, you know, get creative, do some skim coating, maybe some removal, whatever, uh, to meet with the client's budget. But in general, we want to install on concrete. We have had uh, in the past project managers who, regardless of that being our kind of company mantra, if they pulled up on a particular project, this happened, they pulled up carpet tile, and it had pressure sensitive over old broadloom. Now this carpet tile performed just fine. So he thought, hey, it's fine. 
We'll just put our carpet tile right back on. Glue's still okay. sticky, no problem. 2,600 yards, completely yeah. failed. Completely so did, did failed. It, curl? it curled like crazy yeah, okay. everywhere. So that's when, that's when I noticed the change in everything, right? And that was the recycled backing, the recycled portion of that backing. Like carpet tiles, not carpet tiles, not carpet tile. That each manufacturer has their own rules. And this particular manufacturer, which I'll leave, I will not mention, but their the recycled content in their backing requires like you got to get the glue off, you got to prime, you got to prime the residue, and then you can install their carpet tile. It's very susceptible to take on and soak up the any chemicals that got left in that old adhesive. And that's exactly what it did. You could pull up a piece and look at the backing and you'd see dark spots. Yeah. And it was a, a light, lighter colored backing. So it wasn't PVC. So there was no uh, pla uh, plasticizer migration or anything like that. It was just it it soaked up something out of that old adhesive and it turned the backing dark not black but just dark in spots all over it and it curled like crazy and you know obviously that's a tough lesson to learn but that that is uh recycled content in flooring products you know you got to deal with those a little bit different and you really understand what you're dealing with means reading the installation instructions for each product they make it easy now too because if you're uh have a lot of affiliations like get a lot of emails on new technology now like uh staying in the loop back back in the day there was none of that it was read the bucket and they were just and even if the technology changed the distributor was still getting rid of all their old adhesives with the new materials so i mean at smc you were set up to fail but if you weren't paying attention to the specs then well, like you said, you still give an old adhesive, right? And that's what something that a lot of people don't take into consideration too is the formulation of adhesive changes over time. And then a lot of people just are like, oh, there's pressure sensitive already down, just <laughs> go right over it. And then that's, they got systems out there now for stuff like that too, yeah. because there are so many failures. Well, the old adhesive, just like you just said, but just to drive the point home, just because it's pressure sensitive doesn't mean that it works for another product that requires pressure sensitive. That adhesive, if you're replacing it, that for example, on this job, the carpet tile was 10 years old. Who knows what that adhesive was? Who knows how it was formulated? You can't just say, yeah, it's still sticky. Let's put new product over it. So yeah, that was another big change. And, and the water soluble adhesives part, you know, I the the perfect storm uh when when all that started happening is they also came out with unitary backed carpet oh my favorite to rip off steel. remember that how terrible was that right unitary back glue down you had to use a special notch trial that put so much glue down that putting seams together on broadloom was a nightmare to keep the the glue from squirting between the seams and you didn't roll it you didn't roll it you can see look like ripples across the well it, yeah they quit making it because that came along right about the same time as when they started taking the solvents out of the glue. So the glue was less sticky and they were producing a product that required more adhesion. <laughs> so you have less adhesion in the adhesives being produced and a product that requires more adhesion. And I can't, I've torn up so much of what we did and 
I hate to say it, but it just bubbled. Like it would look good. You'd roll it. You'd put the right amount of adhesive down. And in a few years, it starts bubbling. Well, they, they have to hot water extract it. That's one of the main recommended methods of taking care of your carpet. What happens when you have a crappy water-soluble adhesive? Today's water-soluble adhesives are far superior than when I'm talking. I'm talking like 96-ish time frame. Um, you got a crappy water-soluble adhesive and you're doing hot water extraction. Uh, that's not a good mix. So all that was, uh, that, that really did change the carpet side of the industry a lot. And then LVT. LVT, the same thing with that one. Like we said, Amtico, right? We're installing a bunch of Amtico and what do you do? You hate the wet set adhesive. So what do they do? They come out with pressure sensitive. And then you start using it everywhere. And then stuff starts shrinking. And then you realize years later, man, that wet set adhesive sure looked good right about now. Yeah, kind of locks it in, locked it in a little bit better. Plus. <laughs> You know, Amtico made a great product and they still do. Like, it's still one of my favorite LVTs. Uh, but because LVT blew up so much, there's LVT you can buy for 50 cents, you know? And it's a it's a six mil or, or less wear layer. But you want to talk about shrinkage and curling or cupping, all those problems, you know, that comes because you start bringing in when, when a market gets hot, more and more manufacturers start making the product and it gets made cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, che and it became a product that was a race to the bottom. Whereas Amtico kind of had the markets cornered and really uh, made a, a high quality product. And frankly, I don't see that they ever changed their, their kind of staple mainstay product. Uh, we've done it a lot. And it, it, I've never had it shrink. I've never had problems with it, but there are other manufacturers out there. <clears throat> There's some Antico around here. So when you talk about how good the adhesive was back then, um, a few years ago, my, my grandmother was in a home before she passed and it just happened to be a home we did the floors in a long time ago. We went there and it stood the test of time. It was still looking good. You know, it was, it was custom borders and all that. And it looked, it looked really good for the age, and I was very impressed to, to not see gaps everywhere. You know? Yeah, a lot of the a lot of those products are, um, and the floating products too. You know, that's another waterproof waterproof flooring. You know, edge the marketing behind all this waterproof flooring is better than what the product itself is. Yeah, if you drop a cup of water on top of the floor, it's waterproof. You get moisture underneath that floor, you'll find out real quick it's not waterproof at all. Like it's only waterproof from one side. <laughs> and you got to be cognizant of that. Uh, we try to educate our clients on that all the time. And they get frustrated because all the marketing material says that it's waterproof, that it's, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and that it won't ever fail because of moisture or something but you read the fine print and you you like we have to to install it yep. uh, you realize quickly that it's not it's not the end all be all for 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 that scenario i've i've had plenty of people say well in bathroom just silicone the edge 
yeah, well, you better be perfect. <laughs> you better be perfect. Not have one little pinhole anywhere because the water will find that pinhole and it will find uh, its way underneath your flooring and you will still have the same problem. It will find its way underneath anyway. We just I just had this conversation on the phone a couple of days ago with a client. Um, and it, it might not have been about the waterproof uh, aspect, but like the warranty. Oh, this is a 10-year lifetime warranty, you know, and they started going on and on. I'm like, you kind of got to read the print a little bit. Like, you know, I'm not a salesman. I'm talking to you as an installer. This is a limited, you know, it, you're just reading what you want. And it says limited lifetime. Yeah, read the actual warranty. <laughs> yeah, you said you, you definitely got to read into it a little bit more than that. If you want the literature, I'll send it to you. But you know, you have to understand that they can't give everybody lifetime warranty. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what else? Uh, we, we mentioned image and stuff as well. Um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, back in the day, we were really um, revered on construction projects and a lot of times now that's not the case. And like I said, I know that all of us are trying to change that. Um, but where do you think that went wrong? Because it sure seems to correlate to the time frame when we went really heavy subs. That, that's And no uh, offense to subs. Like I was a sub, I believe, like that's what Go Career is built for. So like there's yeah, no- we lease those subcontracts. So. Yeah, no negative there. I'm just stating that that was in that time now, now you have a subcontractor crew. You don't send them to go get trained. You don't put them all through training. That's their responsibility. And a lot of them just decided they, they didn't need to. Uh, now you're several generations into it. And the guy, <clears throat> the first generation of subs were probably fine. And so was second because they learned from these guys that at one point were, yeah. were trained properly. But it seems like it's slowly gotten, um, it slowly got worse and worse. I, I go career's whole purpose is to to turn to turn that corner, but then the manufacturers they're just trying to engineer out talent. They're trying to make flooring products so easy that anybody can do it, and they they have not succeeded. Uh, they've got a few products I think that are easy enough to install, like your click together flooring, but to do it right and to last that 10 years, you still need a pro. That's my opinion. I think um, one of the changes that, that happened was I think that the market eventually at one point got flooded with uh, the workforce, right? Like um, construction in general got flooded. And then, like you said, it, the training and education kind of got diluted down as generations passed. So people stopped uh, focusing on educating themselves and becoming more of a craftsman than just an installer. And I think that's where, where, what happens. It got watered down. It opens the doors up to, let's say, more demographic, more different walks of life in the industry. And um, as other trades were on the rise with the image and the respect because they were they set themselves apart from everyone else, the flooring industry kind of fell behind and just... I don't need a certification to do that floor. I don't need uh, to pass an inspection for this floor, you know, and instead of, instead of the industry leaders, as in like manufacturers, the top down setting that standard, they just kind of just let it go. It's, it's because our stuff only gets inspected if there's something wrong with it. Yeah. Like, that's a good you, point. You think about the other trades, they're like, all right, 
I got everything set before we put any drywall up, inspect it. We don't have the same thing, you know, in our industry. So it's it's a lot easier to cut corners because you can still make something look really good initially. You know, you look at it, oh, it's so beautiful. And then, you know, two months later, it's like, well, all this has to come up. Well, do you guys watch any of the DIY uh, stuff on TV, like home makeover kind of thing? Yeah, the um, that's a little bit like there, there's different. There's different ones, but my there's another there's a new one out, right? It's like the I forget what they call it, but it's basically going back and redoing what like flopped. Flip, oh, um, like bad flips or something. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, I, I know. I know what really what it boils down to is DIYs did this flip. It looked good while they did it, but now just a short term later, everything's falling off or having problems. The flooring's failing, all these issues with the plumbing and all the stuff that they did because the industry says it's a DIY thing. It didn't last. It didn't last very long at all. And uh, so there's a whole new show about going in and redoing uh, a uh, uh, a flip that a DIY guy did, uh, you know, did on their own. So it's interesting. That's my point is that we are still needing to be trained, to be certified, to be informed and educated on our products, to install them correctly for long term uh performance of that floor and, and that goes with a lot of the the new tools the technology the information that's out there like there's a lot of things out there to, to help people get better if they're a diy but there's still a lot of things out there for us as an industry to to make ourselves better so we're not losing to diyers mm -hmm. they do like you said they, they keep on engineering stuff to be more user or installer friendly to to cater to them. And that's why I think uh, you know, we have the market where we have it with, you know, the the sheet vinyl, the resilient side of it, because there ain't no DIY. you ain't DIY in a flash <laughs> job. Uh, there's, not, there's companies not. that call us just to come and weld, like they have somebody come and install the vinyl, then they are like, we don't have anyone to weld it. Well, who installed your vinyl? Oh yeah, but they don't weld. That's amazing to me. I mean, we have some guys in-house that we've taught how to lay the sheet vinyl, get in it, and that's, you know, floor prep, proper coverage, rolling, all of those types of things, even pattern matching and such. But, you know, welding's that one next step. Uh, so we'll have another, you know, you may have one installer that does, but when you start looking at it from a subcontractor's perspective one crew installing another crew coming in welding yeah, that's man. that's a mess that is yeah, we, I, we just i was just on a project last week where you know we get a call from someone and they're like hey we just need someone to come weld inside corners on the flash code <laughs> and i get there and he's like you know we we hired this other company and they welded everything and then we were going to caulk the inside corners but the owner was like no and he wouldn't he wouldn't take the cop. So I went back to the installer and he was like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. So I'm just going to leave. That was it. That was it. Wow. 
And one thing that changed my my world and my life from a, a installer perspective was no one told me about a write-on machine for demo, man. So the tools from an installation perspective, no one told me about that. When we bought our first one, it was just like, it was amazing. Yeah. That, that, that's a whole, you got a whole new life when you jump on a write-on machine, if you're used to using the idiot stick to remove VCT or something. <laughs> the little red shaker box is what we used a lot before. That thing sucks so bad. I'm surprised you can hear me right now. Yeah. Me yeah, too. That, those oh, things, that was like running a, a jackhammer all day. Yeah. That's it. So loud. And it didn't do very well either. Nowadays, there's, you know, there's a lot of great demo equipment. Wolf has some really awesome stuff. Yes, they do. Uh, shout out to my boy, Danny, my brother. Twin. Uh, my twin. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of great equipment out there now that um, makes our lives easier. That's a big industry difference. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how much VCT I've taken up over my life by hand. And it's just not fun. No, I remember. And if you get on a write-on machine, not only are they very effective, they're kind of fun. <laughs> But I, I think we, we kind of got off on a tangent. I think we were we originally started talking about the whole image and everything and then where it got off track and the subcontractors. And um, there's just far too many people out there that don't care about the image and don't care about the certifications and stuff like we've been talking about. And it just drags everyone down because once they start doing that, they're also the guys that are working for a beer at the end of the day instead of for to make a career. So they drive the pricing down, which in turn makes it harder to be able to run a business that has employees where you can offer the benefits that everyone else is offering. And then focus on the training and have the dollars and cents needed to invest into yourself, into your guys, into your company. Well, and here's a natural place for me to plug Go Carrera. Uh, I mean, the bottom line is like, you know, you just said it, uh, Daniel, that when you are a company with employee installers and you're trying to compete with some guy in a truck that's not trained, not a, doesn't value the industry the way you do, and you're trying to compete against them. The only the what Go Career does just level the playing field so that like skilled people are competing with like skilled people so that you're not, you know, a three hammer guy is not competing with a one hammer guy or a half hammer guy for the same work. And that's that's what Go Career brings to the industry. And hopefully over time here, installers will recognize that higher hammer rating equals more jobs and higher pay. That is that is what the data shows us over the last three years and multiple millions of dollars ran across the platform is higher hammer rating, higher pay. And part of that is because obviously the higher hammer rated work is more difficult, takes more talent, takes more skill, but that's, that's what is intended. I've said it a, a bunch, but you don't need a three hammer guy to put a carpet tile vestibule, uh, you know, a vestibule of walk off carpet tile in. You need somebody who knows what they're doing and use the right adhesives and still is is educated, but not necessarily the guy that's fully certified and just kicking, 
kick and tail, right? Um, so getting the right people on the right project is is kind of the key there. Um, so anyway, that that's that's our that's our vision for trying to make sure that you know like minded like skilled people are competing with like skilled people and not not yeah. this guy that's committed his life to the industry thousands upon thousands of dollars and you know a tons of hours invested in his education and his certifications his or her uh education certification you know trainings uh with a guy that worked for somebody for six or eight months and this that this is the plague to me of the industry is the guy that worked for somebody for six or eight months and then goes out thinks he's an installer and starts you know starts his own subcontracting company and you can't tell from adam you don't know if he came and sat across from you he watched his boss do it he knows the name of the tools you question him he seems confident or she seems confident and you uh if you give that person a chance um you better have wonderful oversight i've made that mistake i bring up a particular project all the time where a birthing unit we were doing that the guy sold me i thought he knew what he was doing and it was very evident as soon as our install manager got on the job and said yo this needs torn out before anybody else sees it you know and we did we tore it out immediately but I'm not gonna lie, we've been there. This is uh Mr. Promise. He used to be Mr. Promise the world, I, I like to say. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we could do that. And then it's like, dude, what is going on? And he's like, I, I believe we can do it and figure it out. <laughs> well, part of that we we still ahead of time educate ourselves as much as we can before we start doing that. And then you know well, you have the intent. If you have the intent of going and getting the knowledge you need, once you land it, I, I remember my first protect all job. I wasn't certified and I had no idea. But as factory soon as trained. Got, <laughs> factory, <laughs> sorry, factory trained. Uh, I we we hadn't been to the training, but I knew for a fact if I won the project, I would send guys to go get trained, and and we did that. So that's not bad, but I'll tell you what is bad is if you say you can do something, you don't go get the training, then you go try to do it, and you, let me change that word, mess it up to the point where, <laughs> <laughs> where, where it's not recognizable as the flooring it was supposed to be. And let me go back to this promise the world thing. Um, I was just always confident in our ability to be able to, to manage that test and get it done. Um, and I was always political in my delivery. Hey, you know what? That's not uh, what we specialize in, but I, I feel it's very similar to this right here. So I'm pretty sure that we can get it done for you. No, I never said do it right. Never said it'd be perfect. You know, I was very political about it, but we, I would force us into, Hey, if you look at it, I forced us to start reading and paying more attention to everything. To, to start learning about start everything. Learning about it. it was well. Look, that's what we're both here. I, I there's not. I'm no different. When I was when I was subcontracting, literally, if it was a floor that could be installed, I remember my first wool carpet job. I had no right doing that job. <laughs> I had no right. Uh, luckily, I had some mentors 
around at the time that were willing to help me out and and make sure that project went well and I learned a lot and you know continued to learn but um yeah we all uh, get in those scenarios because you don't want to turn work down but just have the intent of going and getting the training I'm trying to save you from what I did I don't want you to go through what I've been through and that's the whole purpose of this huddle is like maybe you'll hear something like you know Jose saying saying that and if you've done that, that's that's fine. If you have the intent of going and getting the training necessary or the, at least the education necessary to install that product properly. But uh, without the intent of doing that, you can get yourself in some pretty deep water. And yeah. I have. With, with us, we're first generation too. So a lot of people, you know, when, when we go to the conventions and stuff, they're always asking, who'd you learn from? Who'd you learn from? It's like, by messing up, yeah. basically. Or going back, I had the, let's call it the luxury of coming behind other installers and fixing unsatisfactory work. Let's just call it that. So I had to reverse engineer and then put it back together. And that's when I started finding out the do's and the don'ts. And it's amazing what you can learn when you're fixing other people's stuff. Yeah. Now we just got to fix the industry, man. We just got to try to figure it out. Well, you know, just keep taking stabs at it every week here and, and, you know, I know you guys and uh, and uh, we, as well as you guys, I don't know how to say that properly there, but uh, the point being is getting involved. Um, we did a huddle last week. That's why ab about being involved and where you can get, stay up to date on the industry. Well, that's kind of, th this is showing you why right here is all the changes, everything that happened in the industry really required for you to be part of it to stay in touch and 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 know the new products know the new tools i mean in heat welding the different groovers and and different heat welding tips and all of that stuff that i mean you 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 could be an expert in that alone i do when i do classes i estimate i i carry probably around twenty five thousand dollars worth of tools to these classes so i mean it's just his lunchbox <laughs> i mean it, it's it's definitely an investment right but these tools are 12 years old now and they're still going strong you know you got to take care of your investment your investment will take care of you yeah take care of your tools guys there's another pro tip clean your patch trial off and your bucket out before the pa your patch dries uh, we were talking the about wolf tools and has on facebook right now he said every time he sees new wolf products he gets them all excited <laughs> danny would love to hear that well new tools are i mean that's a guy's playground you know a flooring installer's playground i should say i'm like you get a new tool in some one of our hands and we want to mess around with it. I got a brand new uh, power groover this week. So uh, that, you know, I was like, let's see what this thing can do. It's, it's like a part off an airplane. It doesn't look like our old one, our old one, the, you, the um, blade would not engage anymore. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. The, I think the motor, where it attaches to the blade. I think those bearings went out on it, basically. Uh, we didn't have time to try to fix it, so we bought a new one. But, you know, you get a new tool in, and we started grooving stuff. 
that uh, just because right just because <laughs> I bought some GTI Max for the fun of it. <laughs> Did you get one of the cordless ones? No, I didn't get a cordless one. We got a Leicester, so they got a cordless one too. I I uh if I did all the personal tool purchasing, that might be, uh, you know, I might have investigated that a bit more, but our, our, uh, install manager does most of that. So, but at the same time, if you have, we had about a thousand foot to weld, I, I, do you obviously have a, a battery powered one or do you guys? Um, we have one. It is, it does not belong to us. Gotcha. Does it last a long period of time per charge? We have not even got a chance to use it yet. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> it, it was a, a, hey, we want you guys to use this tool. And it's been sitting on the shelves because we haven't had a job to use it on yet. Oh. It's more or less, I want to say, when it got sent to us, it's more or less a prototype. Check this out. What improvements? I mean, huh. it's on the market now, but. See how cool that is? Just being who you guys are, you get opportunities to mess around with stuff probably no one else has even messed with yet. It's fun. It's, it's exciting. What about the stubby? Let me give a plug for the stubby. Tell me about that, okay. that one tool. Um, so first of all, it's it's a great roller, right? I actually only started selling them because I purchased them from the manufacturer and started using them. Once I used them on a job, I said, more people need to use this. Yeah. So- Game uh, changer, guys, game yeah, changer. Like, I'm not selling it to make a bunch of money. I'm selling it because people should have it in their toolbox. And, uh, you know, I got them from, his name is actually Daniel too, in Australia. And, you know, we communicated and he, he I purchased them, he sent them over. I fell in love and it's actually pretty much one of the only rollers that we use now from the toolbox. It's, it's the number one go-to roller. It's, it's so versatile. It's hard not to use it. Where can people buy it? You can go to our website, preferredfloringmi.com. If that's too long, he said that that's too long. So I bought the domain pfmi.team because that's what we are as a team. So I figured that Oh, nice. That was a good fit. Sweet. My pinkies don't work, man. Typing that long email address to people, my pinkies don't work. <laughs> I get accused of it all the time. Stuartandassociates.com. It's Paul at Stuart. And, and then I got to tell people how to spell Stuart because they try to spell E-W-A-R-T. <laughs> and like, you got to spell right. right way. It's U-A-R-T. If people are watching this and stuff right now, I actually put on a, right when we're done here, I'll put on a, a coupon code. Uh, we'll do Go Carrera since that's a a big part of what we're, we got going on here. So I'll do a Go Carrera coupon code for a ten percent off. Awesome, awesome. Take advantage of that, guys. Hey, I got another. Uh, what about um, the difference in concrete? That I think that's another big changer. Oh, I only want to spend a couple of minutes man. here that we have left to talk about it. But so that's that's change. great, right? Especially since we do resilient and probably a lot of the hard tile guys will say it too, right? When it, everything, all the additives that they put in there makes everything non-porous right away. It just locks that moisture in. It's not going up. It's not going down. It's just 
in the S lab and you have to treat it as a non-porous, so much more work has to go into it. Um, we did a job, uh, Bronson Hospital, and this one just got finished up last year where there was a bunch of Nora going down. And, you know, once we, you know, those are the questions you ask up front, are there any additives going in here? Yeah, this additive is going in here. I was told never to use the name because they'll sue me. I, I think I know which one, which one you're talking about. <laughs> so there are, we were like, all right, there has to be a blotter layer. And in order for this, you know, to hold any warranties or anything. And they, there's so much pushback on what well, we thought this was going to save money. And yeah, it's, yes and no, right? Like, well, there's so much, I, I I've got some friends in that industry, so I don't want to talk poorly, but it, there's a lot of snake salesmen or snake oil salesmen in that deal where they're like, this is your cure-all. Well, there's always resulting damage from something. I mean, be honest when you sell, uh, this is going to create a non-poor slab. You may have to profile your slab to achieve a mechanical bond with your adhesives out, you know, or whatever, but it just sold as this, Oh, it stops moisture. And I think that's even debatable, to be honest. But at the end of the day, it definitely causes, well, all the manufacturers say no additives, no, no, no carrying compounds, all that has to be removed. And then you put it intrinsically in the concrete mix, you got problems. And then uh, I've talked to uh, concrete because I've been on the project when they're pouring concrete. You can talk to these guys they'll and watch them add more, more water to their mix as they're going on a hot day. Well, then they're adding, you know, instead of four and a half to one or four to one, you know, it gets up there at that seven. And now you have all this water of convenience in the slab and this magical product supposed to solve the problem. Um, I don't know. The jury's out on it. Uh, I know that Lou, as well as a lot of other really highly qualified guys in the industry, stay, will tell you stay away. <laughs> tell your tell your concrete, uh, tell your GC to stay away from the additives, but they're not going to. We we've we've had the um, situation come up several times, and just, we just make them sign off because they don't want to go through the additional um, the additional uh, cost that it would create to make it ready for the flooring. So do you know, do the additives only affect the flooring? Is that the only thing that it affects besides the structure and everything else itself? Because that's probably why they would keep it going anyway. I don't I yeah. don't think it affects the structure or anything. I think it actually makes it stronger holding the, the moisture in because concrete needs moisture in order to to stay together. It does. It needs, you know, it needs proper hydration, but it really only needs two to one to properly hydrate Portland. The problem is you'd only place, you know, 300 square foot a day <laughs> in that condition to pour a 10 or 20 or 30,000 foot slab in a day. You have to have water of convenience, which is just water for the pure purpose of being able to place the concrete in a quicker manner. But as it dries up, you get scaling if it if they over trial it, 
there's tons of different problems that come along with it, but as well as, you know, a slab that does this and. Uh, that was the other issue on this job was <laughs> the, the engineering of everything. They, they poured all the concrete and it was belly. A, a belly every 12 feet. Yep. So was that, that a fun post, job? Was that a post-tension slab or something like that? Do you know? I I don't, don't know the specifics. All I know is that I had to fix it. <laughs> well, welcome to flooring. <laughs> That's usually what we're here for. All right, guys. Well, we're running out of time here. I want to thank you again. Great conversation. I hope some people got some benefit out of it. Uh, we have any uh, chats or anything? I apologize, but we're we're out of time this week. We got going on some some rants and some good yeah. stuff. But bottom line is, the industry's obviously changed. It will continue to change. Your job is a high quality flooring installer. Stay up with the times. Stay involved and be educated and informed. Absolutely. Go to go career that. Did you guys get that those links up yet to where they can find some training? Yep, it's on all the socials. Sweet. And I believe they're building the page uh, now, uh, just about done with the page that will be live on the website. So. Okay, yep, sounds like they got it up. Is that on the website? Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Then now they got somewhere to go in order to point them to everywhere. Yep. Go to gocareer.com, go to the trainings or um, events page and uh, check it out. And if you have any trainings that you want to, um, uh, you, you don't see on there that you think are valuable, please email us at support at gocareer.com and let us know what the training will get it put up. And, Next week, uh, there, there may be a gentleman on here. He's involved with the FCICA and then doing inspections and stuff. Um, he was watching the last few, and then I think he's on an inspection today. He wanted to join, but I think he might want to actually come on to, to talk about what he's got going on. So That'd be great. I, I shared with him the link, and uh, we'll keep in touch to see how that pans out for next week. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would be interested to chat with him on his opinion of should flooring installers get at, at least some level of inspection training to know what the inspectors look for. I've always thought that might be, you know, that would be really quality information for a guy to know what, if there's a failure, what do they look for? Right. Uh, you know what I mean? So, and then on the, on the flip side, if you are an inspector and you got questions, definitely call an installer because we've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah, I, involve us. <laughs> I, I have inspectors calling me, just asking me questions like, I've never seen this. What do you think? And then seen that plenty of times. And this is what it's from. Nice. Well, he's invited. It's awesome. And uh, we will see you guys next week and talk to you guys here in a bit. Signing out. All right. Have a good see week. Ya. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Adios. Bye.